Thank you for tuning in and watching. Today we have a very special guest in Max Feinstein. He's a musician, an inventor, and a hemophilia advocate. I think there's gonna be a lot to learn from his story. And then uh, hopefully he'll play a little music for us at the end. So stay tuned and uh, hope you enjoy the episode. All right, Max. Well, welcome to the LAX podcast. This is the sixth episode now, so I'm really excited to, to have you on. I know you've been a big part of the hemophilia community lately with, you know, your music and, you know, you've done some cartoon work that I've noticed and uh, just you're just trying to go out there and, and spread your message. So I can't wait to dig into your message and, and uh, you know, what you're trying to get out to the community. So, uh, but welcome. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I want to, you know, I just want to get a briefing. I want everyone to get a briefing on you in case they don't know you. Um, why don't you talk about your disorder and kind of like when you were diagnosed and, and what, what that role was with you and your family? All right. Well, my name is Max Feinstein. I was diagnosed with uh, hemophilia A, uh, originally mild. Oh, wow. At a year old uh, for whatever reason. And then, um, Around 17, 18, I was reassessed as moderate at 1%. So technically speaking, the diagnosis is moderate, clinically severe. So it's a weird, it's that like kind of teeter-totter. Yeah. About whether or not I should get a tattoo changed or what. <laughs> because I, I yeah. have moderate hemophilia A written on my arm. Oh, okay. But also, you know, technically I'm not wrong. It's murky. Um However, that reassessment came around the time I developed a target joint in my right elbow. I'm a musician. Mm. Uh, that was right when I was starting to get into it. And then uh, by about 21, bone on bone arthritic uh, in the right elbow and just kind of brings us up to speed. I managed to work uh, through a lot of physical therapy during COVID to yeah. gain back like some some quality of life shit that I haven't had for the last 10 years. So I'm, Yeah, yeah, I saw so that. There. Yeah, it's exciting. I definitely want to talk about talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but as you were like growing up, you know, were you the first in your family with this? Uh, yeah. And uh, what ended up being the case is that my mother, after I was born, mm -hmm. was diagnosed as a carrier. So technically speaking, we can say that she was the spontaneous uh, mutation. It seems um, okay. my sister is not a carrier. Mm. My uh, my newly born nephew is not a hemophiliac. Okay, I, these are things I am grateful for. Yeah, yeah. So any any kids? Me? No. Yeah, no. Do you plan on having any kids in the future? At this point, my thought on the matter is that whatever the heck this is, uh, this is the end of that. Really? Wow. I may, you know, I, I reserve the right to change my mind, but yeah, absolutely. As of now, that's, where that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Where I'm standing, I don't feel like I'm uh, enough of a person to be a father. I don't feel as though I am capable enough within what mm -hmm. I'm doing to feel responsible enough for a human life uh, mm -hmm. and the compromise that that might put on the work I feel is ahead of me. Wow, man, that's that's pretty powerful to hear you say that, you know, um, 
you know, I, I didn't, I didn't go through that decision-making process because I was kind of a, an, an idiot kid. I was 19 and had my first kid, you know, and I wasn't really, wasn't really thinking. I didn't really have a clear mindset like that. But so it's actually really powerful to hear someone have that outlook and be like, you know what? I don't think I can be who I truly want to be to, to my kid. Yeah. I, I would, um, I would like to think that I could be a good father at some point. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that means. Um, yeah. I enjoy being a mentor. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and through that, I feel as though there are, um, you know, there are aspects of fathership like mentoring and, and leading, being, yeah. being a leader that, that are uh, value, valuable to me. So yeah. I appreciate those quite a bit. Yeah, man. And, you know, one of the reasons why I created this podcast in the beginning was because I started to realize I was getting a lot more messages from parents with newly diagnosed children, and they wanted to know so much information on what was their kid's quality of life going to be like. And they were just so scared and like, you know, what are, what are, what's my kid going to go through emotionally and physically, you know, parents really want to know and understand that better. So, you know, like one of the questions I have for you is what are some of the struggles that you face kind of like as you're getting older, um, you know, going through school, young adult years, what, what are some of the struggles you had getting to know yourself and your disorder and like what that meant, how to manage it? So this is, this, this is where things get kind of interesting for me in uh, that I, I really ran away from it. And that's not an uncommon story in the community that you try to sweep it under the rug for a while that you just, you know, as a kid, you fight against it. You just want to be ordinary. You're, you're, you're not opening up. You're, you're not letting people in, even though this is supposed to be the time in which you are. And, and part of me looking back at this in some ways, uh, is, is more retrospective. I'm not trying to seem, uh, pity you know i'm not trying to be piteous here i'm not trying to uh seem too focused on the sad part i'm trying to organize it for myself and that's sort of what life is currently that i yeah. i i grew up with a lot of opportunities i had a very good childhood on a medical level i wanted for nothing but as one of my friends who, who is uh an indian exchange student with hemophilia has said this year uh to me is that he under at first we joked about that, uh, that, that sort of spoiled American outlook, uh, yeah. because we, you know, in India, he had to really work for his meds or it was a very specific and strict system. So it was more important for me. Mm. I, they were there, they were always there. The med that was, that's a confidence that I've had. Yeah. The, uh, the, and, and, uh, you know, a few months later, he told me that he understood. He's like, because you can have all the access to medication in the world. And for some bleeds, it still isn't enough. Yeah. And what yeah. happens here, you know, you want to know, you, you have parents who want to know what to look out for. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what I went through in part. I got so tired of hemophilia. I got so tired of talking about it that I used to make up stories about why I felt bad. I used to imagine bullies and other things that maybe I saw on TV because I was just so tired of talking about hemophilia. I wasn't mm -hmm. equipped properly emotionally and that that didn't help me that made things much worse because yeah. rather than just talking about the thing that was really on my mind mm. i created this whole other world yeah that that really when i look back on it was a regretful vacuum of time and emotion mm. for everybody involved yeah and yeah you know part of that may be because when you do open up for real uh 
sometimes people are not prepared to handle that, and they think that something else needs to happen, especially uh, hemomoms. Hemomoms yeah. are an incredibly potent, powerful resource. Uh, I shouldn't say that because people are people. Yeah. But, you know, they're not resources. They are they are people, mm. and they are some of the most determined and effective people that you will ever meet. Yeah. So when you have a child whose blood doesn't work, naturally speaking, you're going to be in this extreme mama bear, seal the deal on everything fast kind of mindset. That's yeah. just how that goes. Yeah. That is that is story after story of hemo moms. So, you know, they, they, they are thinking about it. They're putting, they're like, you got to see a psychiatrist or you got to see a therapist or whatever. And when you're, you know, 10 years old, basically you associate every doctor's visit with getting stuck with stuff and you don't yeah. deal with it well. And uh, so when you're in a therapist chair, you associate all of that with sort of a, a punishment and yeah. you, you, fr you, you become frustrated because you opened up, you tried to do the thing that they were asking you to do and your yeah. sincerity is rewarded with another brick wall. So you end up with this resentment of that and this almost mistrust. And then, you know, because you were uncooperative, uh, yeah. you, you end up with uh, further consequences mm -hmm. because you were not doing the obedient thing or you were not doing what was expected. Uh, and, and it seems as though perhaps you are just being difficult. Mm -hmm. There's a whole string of things to unpack there, yeah. Uh, and, and because you know, after that, you, it's like you get grounded, and, and you're like, I'm grounded because I'm upset mm -hmm. that that me opening up did this. Come on, where was my say in this? Where was yeah? Where was I was trying to start the dialogue, and maybe because I was a kid and I was bad at it. Yeah, that's why we led there. There were a lot of reasons. There's a lot of mm -hmm. objective fault that lies with the child, and I will not absolve myself from it due to my youth, but acknowledge that my youth played a big part in it. Yeah. There was a lot of rage. There was a lot of misunderstanding. My parents actively did the best they could. And I would say yeah. in many ways, despite those misunderstandings, uh, they went above and beyond their call of duty quite, quite handily. So yeah. uh, it's been a, that's a complicated one. Yeah. So uh, what do you think? Do you think like, I mean, you kind of mentor or mentioned like mentorship is being part of your role now. I mean, do you think that if kids had more mentorship and, and actually now with the, with access to social media and stuff, there kind of is more access to maybe a, a mentorship program of some sort. Do you think that would really, that would help with the mental aspect of dealing with it? It's complicated because I, I perhaps I had access to that as well as a kid, but mm -hmm. there there are multiple things. One one of the bleeding disorders community problems that that is regularly discussed is retention, community retention, mm -hmm. and part of that is I think because there's a modicum of forced participation. So perhaps a mentorship program and you know like it could do well mm -hmm. for the right person to be receptive to it. Yeah. So. I, I, you know, it's, it's, I've had a lot of these co uh, conversations mm -hmm. with uh, others that are, that are taking this mental health initiative and I, I would never kick any endeavor out of bed, but I would recognize that uh, not all temperaments are prepared to receive help when it's offered, that it's a determination much like in the situation of my childhood where I was not prepared to, yeah. to, to receive help and I could not have it forced down my throat. Yeah, uh, I would not participate. I became defiant about yeah. my participation. So yeah, yeah, I can, it, it, I can relate. 
and it may be one of those things where those are you know those are the people who really need it too everybody mm-hmm. needs what i think is validating here what what i try to do with this is i try to be and i know you you try to be candid in your way as well but i try to as i've been doing here sort of spell it out because yeah i feel that externalizing like this almost depowers it or it lets me uh turn it into something definable that I can then sort of put away. And that's sort of my relationship with my emotions. So if I can, if I can find a way to come by who I am, what this is, honestly, Mm. and find a way to make it less intense and more objective Mm -hmm. to to the point where I think I feel like I understand it. Maybe other people can feel understood in that representation and they may want to engage. That's been my, that's been my uh, experience Mm -hmm. with, with this before is, uh, is that, uh, mm. my, my own personal candidness, my own personal, mm. uh, willingness to share is, is been cathartic for others to watch. So, yeah. you know, mentorship looks like different things Yeah, and, and mentorship to, to be able to, to demonstrate through example is mm-hmm. important. Uh, yeah. you know, it, it very much, you know, to see if other people can, can get the same thing out of it. Cause if I'm not getting anything out of it, why would anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. So who are um, who are some of the people that you've kind of looked for for inspiration and motivation with you know within the community? My biggest inspiration in this community there there are really two. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother, just her strength of character. She was uh, quite influential in the New Jersey Hemophilia okay. Association. She at one point uh, had a leadership role. She then worked for. Uh, she then transitioned from uh, the generalness of that role into a more female focused role oh, wow. uh, for project red flag, which was an initiative of um, NHF. Okay. Uh, by the end of her life, she had founded her own nonprofit for women and girls with blood disorders. Really? So, wow. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. My mother was very much that activist and wow. there was a strength of determination to her that mm. every hemo mom has but wow so that's incredible really, man yeah my mother was a person beyond my comprehension and i would be extremely proud of that that is that I, is so amazing yeah i'm hoping later this year for another project i'm working on uh, to remember her through the eyes of her peers yeah uh, who would truly because by nature of being her son and by being a child mm-hmm. let alone a child with the mindset that i had yeah I, I could not begin to appreciate the depths of uh, who she was in mm-hmm. that situation. So uh, to hear yeah. it through the eyes of her contemporaries and her friends yeah. would allow me to appreciate just what the hell kind of woman she really was. Yeah. So, you know, because she really apparently brought the best out of a lot of people. And that's something yeah. within the community I endeavor to do. I try to mm-hmm. bring the best out of a situation. I try to behave with a sense of mm. uh justice as well as a sense of communication mm. um and and yeah I, you're you know, you're a very good communicator that's for sure it's, you, have a, uh, you have a good way with words you work at it you know which is I, I, which is probably why you're a musician so it's it's fun my the craft is fun for me wordplay uh is fun but you, you know how it is you grow up learning complicated medical words mm-hmm. at the same time as you're learning see spot run spot runs fast you know mm-hmm. it's weird it's a little trip yeah uh that's that's really to me 
I like words a lot, actually. Yeah. So let's talk about music a little bit more, like as you were as you're growing up with it. So kind of like prior to um, you know, transitioning into advocacy, what was, how did you like find music? What was that like for you? Was that initially just your ex- way to escape everything? Yes. It was my way to feel like I could relate to people because at the time I didn't feel like I, I mean, I felt like I bonded with people yeah. over, um, perhaps unique experiences or, uh, you know, for a while I was that kid who was into trading cards and mm. to me, I didn't, you know, it was a fun way to participate, but yeah, at the end of the day, it was about the thing and not the experience. So I, I couldn't derive a proper meaning from it. Yeah. Um, I found music to be something that was interesting to a lot of people and to myself. So I, I found it to be, you know, it was loud. It was a place where it was okay to be loud. Yeah. You know, we're, we're about the same age. We both kind of mm-hmm. grew up with a lot of the same uh, modern stuff. And, yeah. and so you ever, you yeah. Know, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears. Yeah. Oh, yo, I wore out a millennium. <laughs> I'm, no, I have no shame about that. I know. Hey, me neither. It's still on my playlist, man. I got Backstreet Boys on my playlist still. So. I mean, that stuff's popular <laughs> for a reason. And, and you know, but seeing some kids in middle school playing like Nirvana, yeah. like hearing yeah. some actual overdrive and up close. Yeah. It felt, you know, it felt like a way to be edgy and, and yeah. without actually having any edges around to poke myself on. Yeah. So was it always kind of like that hard, hard rock for you? Like just mm, a little. Yeah. I mean, I like that because it's, it's really gratifying, but yeah. I didn't like, uh, like I grew up with a lot of show tunes in my household. I grew up mm-hmm. with a sister who was into a lot of mainstream rock, a little older than me. So I got exposed to a lot of the nineties stuff earlier. Yeah. But where I really came into it was uh, where, where I found myself liking it the best was mm-hmm. when was driving, you know, where, where there's a lot of really propulsive drums, but yeah. also I found myself appreciating grooves as I got to be more of a musician, but at first yeah. I remember hearing a lot of, uh, I mean, there was a lot of heavy metal around that was very aggro. Um, mm. there, a lot of that new metal stuff, yeah. and even a band like Slipknot who started out very, yeah. uh, they started out very, I don't know how else to put it, butt Rocky, like very much like, Oh, I'm going to beat you up or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the, the way that like trapped is or things like, mm-hmm. or the way that New York city hardcore is. And yep. so I was not so much a fan of that or even mostly aggressive okay. singing. I had to come around to that. I yeah. was more a fan of like this, you know, stuff like Incubus and chili peppers and yeah. Blink, where it was like, okay, this is, this is people blowing off steam. This is, yeah. you know, some of it felt celebratory in a way, which yeah. to me, that's, that's music is, is celebratory. It's a way to let things out. Mm. Was it, was music always like something very serious for you? Like, did it take off like right away? Like you were just like, Oh man, this is, this is it for me. And you just kind of went full speed with music. Sort of. I mean, I had a, when the guitar clicked, it clicked. Yeah. But before that I had tried other things, you know, sang in choir, which was all right, but I didn't necessarily care for it uh, fully. Uh, I tried like violin and I tried cello. I tried all this other shit, yeah. not cello, but like flute and clarinet. Uh, and I couldn't do a whole lot of the embouchure, the mouth stuff to make noise on it. So yeah. when guitar clicked, it, it became the thing I wanted to live in. Yeah. And when did you start creating like your own lyrics? Right. Uh, your own music. 
lyrics and I and I have had a complicated relationship. Really? Okay. Um, I wasn't great at them, and I wasn't allowing mm. myself to like I wouldn't invest time in them. I would try to write, and I found some steam at it. I I had been writing songs as early as you know. You, you write your first shitty couple of songs when you're like eight. Or, you know, I was in eighth grade, and they were yeah. like really very, very not so subtle mm. uh, ripoffs of of what was around me. Oh, gotcha. They didn't, yeah. you know, they were they were a combination of chords because that was yeah. the combination you knew. Yeah. So I didn't, you know, I didn't start to become experimental truly mm. with that stuff maybe till high school. But it started with me joining other people's bands and okay. learning how to play their songs or. Uh, you know, uh, figuring out what I could offer to what already existed. I've been drawn to, yeah. to, to confident and realized songwriters as early as freshman high school. Yeah. Uh, I started writing my own stuff, uh, confidently, or at least with some semblance of originality, I'd say in junior year. Uh, but that was when my elbow started bleeding and, and a point I meant to make before I got all cerebral about it is that hemophilia gaslights you like hemophilia, and you know this is somebody who had to basically teach himself a connection to his body. Mm-hmm. Um, that that hemophilia makes it real easy for you not to have any faith in your body and make you uh, completely lose touch or belief in it because you're used to it failing you so much and you're used yeah. to tuning out so much pain that you've got no desire to have a sense of physicality at all. Yeah. Uh, so so like around there is when I kind of started shutting down emotionally, but mm-hmm. like. You know, I was really feeling myself before then, and I was starting to really get good. And yeah. I kept going, and I kept improving, and I kept working, but it was it wasn't the same. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of read about that, like you, like you kind of like lost, like are you forgot essentially, like how to play the guitar, and you kind of had to like reteach yourself. Uh, not so much forgot. Okay. What happened was uh, with my elbow becoming more and more of an issue. Yeah. I had to. Uh, figure out different things to do. I had to figure out what was comfortable for me to do with my right arm. Yeah. So for a while, it was uh, it was a, a it was a difficult thing. But thankfully, mm. at that point, it was not as um, it, it was not as dramatic, perhaps, as that interpretation leads one to believe. Yeah. Because I was, I, I would say that while I was writing, I wasn't necessarily as developed a musician enough that I would mm. need to relearn critical things that were stylistic yeah i would i would actually say what this did was it helped me develop my aesthetic as a player mm. in certain ways it leaned me towards uh things that i could do reliably and yeah you know sort of compensating so perhaps if i couldn't do a lot with the right hand yeah uh, with the rhythm hand i might do more elaborate things with the left or i'd compensate mm. in different ways i like that man it's awesome yeah so like you know having hemophilia you know it's yeah, it's a bleeding disorder and we get these bleeds and we have to deal with them, trying to manage them. But in a way, that's just the start of the hemophilia journey. You know, then we go through other stages where, you know, you're going through chronic pain and, um, you know, even depression. So like, what are, what are some of the things that like, you would want to like, you would want the public to know about people who have hemophilia or chronic disorder? Like, you know, what, what should they know about, what should the public know about us first things first living with a chronic disorder no matter how well managed can be beyond chaotic you your body is chaos at a cellular level 
essentially, because something in you doesn't work, and no matter how well you manage it, there is still that opportunity for it to fail. Mm -hmm. Secondly, that mindset is something that is likely on your mind, LA, as much as mine, that you're like, oh yeah, yep, I'm still a hemophiliac, that's for sure. It's, it's kind of like having a, a, a file on your phone that takes up like 40% of your, your memory and mm -hmm. you can't open it and you can't delete it. So it's just kind of there. Yeah. So you, you don't get to devote that part of your brain power to other things. Mm. It's, you know, like they say, a man thinks about sex every like seven seconds. Yeah. We're probably thinking about hemophilia every five, you yeah. know, it's yeah. that sort of deal. So, yeah. so you, it's not just your body. It, it, you remember this. You remember this as much as you remember, you know, you have to, you have to make your life, uh, accommodations for this the same way you would if you had a dog that needed walking or a child that needed feeding. This yeah. is exactly as important managing your condition. Yeah. So because it's not visible does not mean it does not demand mm. and validly so that chunk of your time and effort. Yeah. Um, that just because the meds have been administered does not mean you are better immediately. There is there is a lag behind that. And that uh I guess I guess those are the big uh, yeah. considerations. How how has it affected your relationships and how have you had to manage, you know, whether it's a personal relationship with a with a friend or a significant other, how have you learned to develop relationships and maintain them? And have you lost relationships because of people just not understanding? In some ways uh, it has affected me uh, largely positively hmm. because uh, by and large, uh, I've learned how to speak about it in such a quick and relatable way for the sake of touring uh, or for the sake of, uh, because as you know, uh, it can be quite easy for someone who doesn't get it to uh, view you as a liability almost immediately. Yeah. It becomes a matter of, oh, fuck, is this thing going to when is this going to present an issue? Mm. Uh, is this going to be some real problem? Especially if you don't know anything about the disorder. So I, I got real good at the shorthand of it when I would tour um, and say like, hey guys, uh, I'm doing this. I got to do this like twice, three times a week. It's a needle. So if y'all are squeamish, go take a walk. I'll be done in 15. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm just kind of like, hey, this is something that I have to do. And no one yeah. by and large has been uh, of issue with it. I've had, I've had an issue in which uh, somebody was frustrated with me about that, but looking back on that, it was likely a deeper issue than yeah. that, and this was a tipping point, so I, that, I can't fault it there. Mm. My, wife, my wife has been nothing but compassionate mm. um, about it, and, and I've been with her in a relationship for the last decade, so I'm, yeah. I'm very fortunate that that's been okay for me, but all of this has taught me how to kind of make allies, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. been sort of what I try to do in the community and what I try to show in the community is like how, how to speak about it without, yeah. uh, without connoting drama, without, uh, with, without making it something that seems like it's an immediate crisis. Yeah. So, because, because if your behavior is ordinary about it and you're not coy yeah. or cagey when it's appropriate, then you yeah. can normalize that. So like I was on tour with, uh, with my band BWQ Mm. And it was amazing, except for the fact that I had nosebleeds for two weeks straight. Oh, wow. And I just, I, and, and throughout this, they saw what I was going through. And thankfully it was nosebleeds and not elbow or anything else. Cause I yeah. had those, and those are a lot easier to, uh, th those are a lot easier to sort of not explain well. 
Yeah. But also they're a lot more painful. You know, at least a, a, mm-hmm. a nosebleed demonstrates the point pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm happy. I'm happy about it for that because they don't really hurt. Yeah. Uh, so it gave me the opportunity to just kind of educate them a bit on it because they were thankfully uh, out of their concern came curiosity because I was just treating it like it was a thing, you know? Yeah. So, so between all of that, I was able to figure out how to speak mm. about this in a way that wouldn't, basically I had to figure out how to make other people comfortable with it, which I didn't yeah. mind doing because I wanted to tour. I love touring. So you, you kind of took accountability in the process of educating people around you on what your needs were and how, you know, how you yeah. want to be treated. Cause I, well, I did, yeah, I didn't want to take up any more space in their head yeah. than I had to. That's awesome. So I, yeah. I, I tried to define it very clearly. Like, yeah, this is, this is me by and large. It's managed. If it's not managed, I will be the first to tell you, Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm telling you this now so that that's a, know. that's a very good tip. I think to give people, that's awesome because it took me a while to do that, but yeah, that is really good. It's easy to not want to make it someone's problem. And then what happens is an unfortunate result of that. Yeah. Is that if it does become someone's problem, then they have to internalize a whole new concept in the mm-hmm. middle of a crisis. Yeah. You know, so it, it's kind of like somebody teaching you CPR while someone yeah. is suffocating next yeah. to you. Yeah. Like that's a bad time. Yeah, that, <laughs> yup. Or, and maybe it's the person with CPR trying to teach you how to give CPR. Like, yeah. Okay. This metaphor is getting weird, but you get it. <laughs> I got a question for you. If you had like this magical power to just create any resource available for people with chronic disorders, what would that resource be? Like if you could just be like, Hey, I want to give this to the world. Um, and I think this would help people. What, what would that be? Can you think I, of would, I mean, to me it, with such a broad statement, I would snap my fingers and create medicine. I would just sit here snapping my fingers let's pretend I created access to medication just like that for everyone i would create literal medication out of thin air yeah i would i would be uh, because i would want to be responsible so like if i could will specific medications into the Mm -hmm. world by snapping my fingers i would sit here snapping my finger for like all you know i'd sit here and do it for like 60 minutes yeah and probably have enough to get people across the world okay for a month so because i i I get the opportunity to work with a lot of different patients from all across the world and our united states and i see so many people struggling with you know depression or maybe they don't have insurance at the time they can't get medication and they don't have maybe they don't have a huge support team And sometimes, you know, and some of us are mentally stronger than others and we can really dig deep and pull ourselves out and and figure out a way, but not everyone can. And it's it's hard for me to not sit back sometimes and be like, well, that's really not fair for them. Like they, they had this chronic disorder. They don't have a good family system. They didn't have the great, the best environment and they're suffering. It's like, I almost want to like, it's like, what can I do? Like in the future, what could I create that would give... I just want someone to have a fair opportunity at life. That's yeah. kind of, that's all I really want to see, you know? I think that might go a long way because if you think about the people who don't have access to the meds, then you can see what that might do to the family. You mm-hmm. can see how that, that problem um, is a hindrance broadening outward. So, you know, I, I bet you there are yeah. plenty of situations in this community where this, where, where one parent just couldn't hack it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and ousted, you know, and, yeah. and that sort of thing really sucks. You know, yeah. I would hope, I would hope that access to medicine 
would make uh, and access to care too. Yeah, w- would make for um, a, a better family scenario because yeah. even even beyond the idea of nuclear family, uh, the idea of being able to be a team for your child who mm-hmm. is now basically. Uh, you know, for lack of a better term, I, I kind of feel like a grease fire sometimes. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like a grease fire of a human being because you gotta put it out. Like, it yeah. does, and it doesn't get put out with water. So, yeah. you gotta really coordinate on a grease fire. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, hey, second, let's get into the second segment of this podcast. We're gonna talk about your music right now. Just, we're gonna talk okay. about the success of your music, kind of all positive stuff and, you know, <laughs> leading into your awesome campaign that you're doing. So, why don't you give our audience a little idea of like some of your successes? Like, let's have fun. Like, what's some of the Absolutely. fun things that you've got to do and accomplish while being a musician? So, as a musician, I've gotten to meet a lot of people that I consider uh, heroes of mine. I, I've gotten to meet people who are incredible musicians, and I've gotten to learn from them. Uh, some of them are more famous than others, and some of them are just kind of like you've got to be kidding me famous but yeah. also yeah. beyond that i've gotten to appreciate what what they do like how they look at things and yeah. what is uh virtuous in the craft for them mm. so i've gotten to do that i've gotten to play on a lot of incredible music uh and make a lot of incredible friendships through wow. that act of trust and with the hemophilia community specifically, yeah. uh, I found a way to be there. I found my place in the community, which is talking outward for it to the general public because. How did you hem- find that? Like, what was that switch or that moment that happened that all of a sudden made you say, man, this is my purpose now. Like, this is my mission. Like, that is a great question because it was a fluke. Really? I, I had a record to promote. Yeah, I put out an EP called Betamax in 2019, Uh and uh, when I was trying to get some coverage on it, I was asked by the reporter, who was a friend of mine, if there Mm -hmm. was a uh, a story or a hook, and I said, "All right, let's let's because for a lot of my work, I've been just a session guy, or I've been a bandmate, and and not necessarily wanted to draw that attention to myself. Yeah, so I was like, okay, my blood doesn't work." How about that? I've been struggling with issues regarding my arm that might have made a lot of people quit music, but here I am like a bonehead bleeding into my elbow as as recently as then, still doing this thing for some reason. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, that'll do. Yeah. So, (laughs) I read that. that I read that article. Yeah. I mean, you, you unleashed it on him. You're like, all right, let's, I'll give it to you. Yeah. That was was it. (laughs) And in doing that, I didn't like at the time it was purely pragmatic. It was yeah. me. It was me being like, okay, let's let's see. Bad blood is good PR. Let's try it. Yeah. Like, so, what what happened from there was that I realized, you know, I got to see it go outward and yeah. see who knew me and 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 realize that they didn't know as much about me as I thought they did. That because I've been complaining about this my whole life, maybe I hadn't complained completely, or maybe I wasn't making it as burdensome on people as I might have worried I was. Yeah. So I got to really, because a lot of people are like, I had no idea. And I'm still getting that today. I'm like, oh, wow, good for me then. Good for yeah. me that I didn't make this as much of your problem, but thank you for listening. So so from there, yeah. it made me realize, I, it made me feel good to share. Yeah. And it made me feel like, this was the right place to share 
because uh-huh. there, there are oftentimes where you sharing, unless there's a, a real crisis, can be burdensome. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you inflict yourself on others. So yeah. to be able to have this outlet for it and occasion to with my music, yeah. it's, it was pragmatic. So the idea of being another shaggy white dude with tattoos and a guitar, yeah. you know, there are millions of those. So mm-hmm. like having, having a more compelling story that actually brought me peace of mind to share and gave other people representation that they mm-hmm. don't ordinarily have outside of their own community was was sort of where that went and yeah. it brought me back into the community wow. in a sense of um being able to participate i got um into the radar with the hemophilia chapter of new york and with mm. the new jersey chapter again yeah. so so that whole thing became really very very good and it really set mm. this precedent because for a while i didn't know how to blend yeah i didn't know that i wanted to yeah so how long ha- would you say you've been sharing your story now with music and, and hemophilia? How long has it been? It's been about a year and a half. It's been really? okay. that article uh, in, mm-hmm. in that article, uh, would, I would consider that the first time outside the community that I've shared, I had shared a little bit before that, Okay. but, uh, by and large, I kind of just kind of kept them separate. I yeah. was mostly just, you know, Hey, I'm a guitar player. My elbow hurts sometimes. Just yeah. a heads up. Yeah, but I. So now you're full. You're full in, hundred percent in. Max me. hemophiliac, like the you know musician. Yep. Um, so a question, you know, you've been doing it for a year and a half. During that time, um, how did you redefine your message? You know, I know, I I know, I think that you agree that sharing your message is so important for everyone to do. How do you find your message? How did you find yours? And and. Cause I think that a lot of people want to share and they don't know how, and they don't necessarily know what their message is. I think it's important to think about, uh, for one thing, just the idea of sharing stories within the community, getting to know someone feeling like you got to get it out. That's the place. Cause we're all here to listen to each other or we ought to be. Mm. So if you can find someone who's willing to listen to you in that way, that's fine. Like you don't have to go ahead and make a friggin' brand out of it like you and I are doing. Yeah, and that's something that that happened over time anyway. That's yeah. something that's going to, I guess, to to have faith that if you want to do this, mm-hmm. you need to start by externalizing, by talking about things, by writing your thoughts down, and and that's seeing yeah. what all of of what you're saying is is the matter of it. Yeah. In my case, I didn't really get it proper. Till I started writing about it, which I, I hadn't been want to do for a while in my mm. music. So figuring out how to do that, figuring out what my voice was and not just what uh, me as a songwriter for a bigger core would be. Yeah. That was a big deal. Yeah. And, and uh, from there, just really investing that time and making myself mm. better, feeling like I, because, because I felt like I needed to get some distance from the problems or I needed to work towards overcoming things and yeah. be substantial enough to speak. Yeah. You know, you have to show people the process and the progress as much as you do the results. Yeah. So I agree. You know, that sort of thing was important. And yeah, that's that's to- good advice, man. I really like that writing. I, I used to journal a lot in order to help me understand what my message was. And, and I think it's good advice just to tell people just to start, just to start, just go out there and start telling does it, you don't have to have an exact plan. Um, just start talking about hemophilia yeah. and see what happens. You yeah, know, because because that's really what it is, and it, and it has to be beyond yourself. Like you have to. Don't get me wrong. We can be mighty champions of this, and we can let our unique personalities flourish, 
especially when it seems that there's nobody fulfilling the things that come naturally to us already as a community device. Yeah. So you can do that and you can be unique. And in fact, I encourage the hell out of that. Yeah. But you need to, you need to figure out how this goes beyond you mm-hmm. and how this, this, that's is, key. Yep. Yeah. Cause otherwise you're yeah. just like, you're just, you know, it's good to get all attention on this disorder is good, but uh, you're not going to necessarily find forward motion unless you're, mm. um, unless you're really being solution oriented and, and figuring out what will work. Yeah. In my case, um, I, with this new record, uh, I'm doing with redefine. Yeah. Talk about that uh, a little bit. That's, that was next anyways. I want to know more about that campaign. So, uh, right now I have a crowdfunding campaign out on the fractured Atlas platform. Fractured Atlas is a 501. So it's a nonprofit. And that means, that any donations made towards this campaign are actually uh, tax deductions. So that's that's a way that I'm doing this to try and be, you know, to try and give something back because I can't plan for everybody with like t-shirts and such. Yeah, it just seemed like why don't why don't I just throw a write off at people, make the whole thing, co- uh, you know, comprehensive. Yeah. But but the the record itself follows a loose story. It's not necessarily plot driven as of yet, but the idea of it is supposed to be about a demonstration of effort because of the, I guess the rehabilitation I did required a lot of effort and the emotional growth that came from that was also something that required a lot of very deliberate effort. So the idea of reflecting that effort into a story or into a, a movement that would not undermine the effort and get right to the good part yeah, it it had to feel like a like a trajectory of uh of a st- you know ownership into effort into revelation into effort into revelation into climax into resolution sort of thing. So like, there's only one song on it that outright deals with hemophilia, mm-hmm. and the rest of them are kind of all about sort of mental stuff, like reflecting yeah. on the past or depression or anxiety or rage. So you know, it's absolutely through that lens though. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll put the links uh, below and all the descriptions on YouTube and Spotify. So anyone can go ahead and check those out. And if you want to make a donation to help uh, Max on his journey uh, with this album, that would be awesome. And uh, I know you would really appreciate that. I, it would mean the world to me. Yeah. And so you just share it, you know? Yeah, guys. So I'm, I'll definitely be sharing it everywhere after this. And uh, so like what I read something on it, it was, uh, I mean, it's called redefine your life or re- you're trying to like redefine hemophilia, essentially. That's the name of the campaign. Yeah. Okay. So I just have a question on that. Like, what does that mean to you? Re- redefining hemophilia. For me, it meant redefining myself because I'm sure with you, you've had the same thing where there are some days where you just look at yourself and all you see is hemophilia. Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it's a different kind of dysmorphia than, you know, it's absolutely dysmorphic in a way where, where you, all you feel like is your disease. Yeah. And so it was kind of me looking at myself differently. It was me re you know, refocusing my relationship with hemophilia into places that were more productive and less, uh, less sort of brooding and, and selfish. Yeah. From there, uh, redefine means uh, other things as well. Redefining hemophilia to me is also a bit of a mantra about, how I speak to people outside the community because by and large, I'm the first person that a lot of people know with hemophilia when I meet them. So 
to be able to redefine it in the eyes of the general public mm -hmm. in a couple of ways is very important to me to make it so that uh, people do not just think of this disorder as a catastrophe. Yeah. That they don't think of it as just like a wives tale where you prick your finger and bleed out. Yeah. So to be able to say that kind of thing to someone and not have their mind go to an immediate liability is yeah. redefining hemophilia as well as yeah. uh, giving it its own existence outside of perhaps what people know of it from HIV and AIDS. Yeah, man. When I saw that, I was really excited because I, I really believe in, in redefining hemophilia in your, in your own way. And I know that it's taken me a long time to do that, but that's something that I promote. And, you know, when I... I've made a lot of mistakes since I've been in the hemophilia community. Um, but one of the awesome things that I did was I create, when I created Hemo Life, I, I created it with an idea that I was going to create a logo and it was my, with that logo and branding, it was my obligation to, to create the culture of what that logo meant what it, and what it represented. During that time when I started, um, not too many people were talking about hemophilia. It was a very closeted thing. You didn't you didn't put on your Instagram bio, "Hey, I'm I'm a hemophiliac," you know. Yeah, that's a that's a new thing across the board. Like, yeah, so you were definitely at the head of that. Yeah, I mean, that was at the beginning because I remember when I did it, I was embarrassed when I wrote that on my wall. When I first did it, I was embarrassed by it, and I was like, "Wow, you're really doing this, huh?" And, you know, I just kind of stuck to that. And I just got so many messages over the years of people saying like, you know, you've get, you've made me, uh, you've inspired me to put hemophilia on my Instagram page. And so like, that's when I knew I was kind of doing the right thing. And then I, I wanted to create like this, like vibe of like having hemophilia was like a badge of honor. Like it wasn't something that you're disgraced of. It was something of like, you know what? These are all my blood brothers and sisters who are all fighting and we are so much more empowered and stronger because of what we're going through. Um, so leaders, one bleeders all man. Yeah, man. So I just, I loved when I saw that redefine hemophilia and I just, you know, I just wanted to see what your tips were to someone who was like, man, how do I, how do I redefine hemophilia in my life? You know? And I, and I think that, I think you're doing a good job by leading by example for sure. You know, um, you know, one thing that you said that really resonates with me is when you kind of took yourself out of the equation and you start asking, what can I truly do for, not me, but for the community. And when yeah. you can, when you can really have that outlook, I think you can um, level up essentially with your mission. You, it tells you what your mission is essentially, because for a while, essentially, like I, I want to have my presence and my outlook here, but mm -hmm. my music needs to earn its place. It's less yeah. entitled to that bandwidth. It's what I do, but I don't do it for the community. I am of the community doing it. Yeah, and then and then if I do it right, perhaps it can be a considered a community service beyond. But yeah, to think about it in terms of you know, hey, what I what I guess I am is uh like you said, I, I got away with words. I'm a good mouthpiece. Yeah. I'm you know I've been a performer for most of my life, so I'm comfortable yeah. on stages. I'm comfortable talking to people. So in yeah. that way, I provide value, but I can also listen. I'm I can I can also be uh, somebody who tries to make people feel heard. Yeah. And tries to open dialogues and, and crush beefs if I can. Yeah. Because what you're dealing with is a lot of people who feel very deeply and who are often in a lot of pain and therefore their fuses can be incredibly short. Mm -hmm. So to be able to try and refocus with that and say like, hey, I just see a couple of guys here who are in a lot of pain and this got out of hand Yeah, is, is oftentimes a big deal. Yeah. Because how often have we lashed out and hurt? 
absolutely I, all the time all the time percent guilty of it so to be yep. able to be on the other side and try to be a better angel so to speak is yeah. very important to me to, to be able to be yourself too to encourage people to be yourself mm. you know it, it is also very important i i think that everyone's relationship with hemophilia is going to be different and that it is something that is is layered and you peel different layers of it away perhaps yeah. so for me uh, a lot of it came out of trying to point and I had a lot of comedian friends a lot of my mm. relationships with my friends who have sort of the sense of humor allowed yeah. me to figure out how to talk about it in ways that were entertaining or um, yeah. that were not uncomfortable for other people to hear so so to mm. me that's you know finding ways to own it yeah I love it man I've got two more questions for you and then I want to hear some music if that's Hell okay yeah. all right yeah. so as a veteran hemophiliac, you know, you've gone through so much adversity and you've overcome it. If you can give, you know, one piece of advice to the next generation of bleeders who are, who are going to be watching these videos, what would you want them to know? Stretch. Stretch? Stretch. Like when we were kids, yeah. rice was the big thing. Like yeah. rest, ice, compression, elevation. Mm -hmm. And that goes, that goes far. But it doesn't, you know, there's there's a point in which stretching and getting yourself mobilized again yeah. is the right move. So figure out when you can mobilize, get mobilized, uh, start getting your blood flow back. Mm. And, and so to stretch and to keep the body limbered, I would hope, yeah. uh, would be a way of avoiding A, injury in the first place and B, uh, becoming too sedentary. Awesome. Last podcast, the message was move. That was it. Move. It, so I love it. Last good. one was move. Yours is stretch. I love where it's going right now. Like, yeah, those are, those are <laughs> exactly. I'm glad that the, that the person before me is in exactly the same headspace. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So what should we expect from Max in the next five years? What, how are we going to see you and in, in, within the community and what, what's the game plan for you? Uh, the romantic way to look at this is I am vying to be the Bruce Springsteen of hemophilia. That would be the easy, punchy way to say it. When you look at Springsteen, he, he has his credibility based on the fact that he's found ways to continually speak to the messages of the disenfranchised and to speak to the needs and the hopes of people. Mm. So I, I'm hoping that throughout this, you will be seeing quite a bit of me with this record. I intend to let the community know who I am, what I'm about yeah, and to let the world know uh, what hemophilia is about through publicity, through discussion. Yeah. As the world opens back up, I intend to take this message to yes. uh, state chapters and yeah. to tour. And that would be amazing. I, I hope, uh, I hope that you start getting a lot of opportunities to showcase your talents in front of, you know, others all, in the community so it's totally started and i'm grateful awesome. to say it started immediately essentially nice. really? I, I was asked after that article uh, jeremy griffin of new york city hemophilia chapter reached out to me we got to know each other yeah and he invited me to perform and share at um, a gala oh that was maybe less than a month later so yeah in that way little opportunities have started to come up um, and they've come up in very appropriate ways as I've gotten better at expressing myself. Yeah. Like that comic you mentioned before was yeah. Bloody Endeavors. That was an early attempt at expressing myself beyond yeah. just writing. Yeah. So, you know, with this being the way that I am working at it, I feel mm -hmm. as though I am becoming prepared to receive the opportunities uh, in time with getting them. Yeah.
Awesome, man. That's exciting. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast, um, but there's no way in the, and I could ever let you go without hearing some of your music. So why don't, oh, yeah. you, why don't you give us a little something? All right. So this is a song. This is one of my favorites off the new record. Let me uh, scooch back a little. Sure. So the song is called Pass, and it's going to be one of the, the early singles off the record. And it's essentially about dealing with your feelings mid-feeling them. Yeah, it's just the 
ain't feel right now, so let it let. Good job, bro. Good job. That was awesome. Thanks. Thanks for letting me do that. Yeah, man. Where where can we find more of you, your music? Where can we listen? You can find me on uh, Max Feinstein is is where you will find me on Spotify, on Bandcamp. If you're looking for sort of my day to day doings, uh, you can find me at i underscore underscore Maxwell. Okay. Um, or if, you know Max Feinstein, if you just type that in, I'm pretty sure IG will find it. Sweet. All right, bro. Well, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. I think everyone's going to enjoy your message. So thanks a lot. Thanks, LA. Thanks a lot. Okay. Talk Good to work. you later. Later. Yeah.